0: During this season of Lent, uh, we are spending all our time uh, in worship around the two verses in the Bible and we're looking at them from different angles each of the Sundays in this season. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 the theme is run the race. Uh, Life is like that marathon described here and we are called to run the race. I want to read that scripture Uh, and have a word of prayer with you this morning. And I want you to listen very prayerfully and uh, read it on the screen as I share it aloud. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken His seat at the right hand of the throne of God. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As I mentioned, this scripture from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, is all about a sports analogy, a sports image. Uh, it is the image of the Olympic runners of the first century, Uh, Running the race, they experience the encouraging crowd in the bleachers. Uh, They understand they have a finish line. They have a goal. Jesus Christ is that goal's name. Uh, They understand also that there are things that slow them down. Uh, The two phrases we're going to be looking at this morning uh, are centered around the sin that clings so closely and the weight that we feel. We are to set aside the weight that slows us down and we're to watch out for those hindrances on the track that could could cause us to stumble or lose our focus. The Scripture begins with that warning to lay aside every weight and it's interesting that the Greek word for weight in our New Testament uh, is only used here uh, in our New Testament. In other words... That's the only time that word appears in our New Testament Scripture, although in other literature of the time in the first century, that word for weight was used frequently. And it most often had reference in a metaphorical way to pride, to an arrogant bearing, to an arrogant way of presenting oneself. So the weight was a negative word, And what the Hebrews writer is saying is that if we're going to run effectively, we have to somehow find a way to offload that pride. Isn't it interesting that in running the race of our lives spiritually, we often don't see the thing that is slowing us down. We often don't see that pride is getting in our way and keeping us from running effectively. Uh, it can manifest itself. Uh, I'm the only one who counts. Uh, I've got this, I don't need God. I've got this, I don't need other people. Look at me, I'm so efficient, I can do things on my own. I've I got life organized, I've got it all buttoned down. Pride shows up in lots of strange ways. Uh, John Wesley was the founder of the Methodist movement, uh, and he once said to his congregation, his congregation. We are supposed to pray the Lord's Prayer, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. But he said, because of our sinful lives and our pride, we often pray, for mine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. We often build it all around ourselves. It manifests itself also uh, in a selfishness that would simply say, "I I want to just take care of me. I want to build this little circle and I want me and mine taken care of and I don't really care about anybody else. We don't realize we're doing it, but we do. There's been a lot written this last weekend with the outbreak, with the declaration of pandemic related to coronavirus, uh, about how pandemics have a way of bringing out the best in humanity, but pandemics also have a way of bringing out the worst in humanity. Because if we're not careful, We only care about ourselves. Well, you know, those people don't count. I don't know them or they're from a different uh, nationality or race or a country and uh, they don't matter. Without realizing it, we create this, this tiny little circle. But I want to remind us that not only individuals, but the church is supposed to throw off the weight that would slow us down, the weight of arrogance, the weight of pride and selfishness this is a great time for the church to be the church. While we take care of our own health and we make sure that we're taking all the precautions that are required, this is a great time for the church to be the church, to engage with people who are suffering, to engage with people who are isolated. And in the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, this is a time for the church to exist for others, not a time for the church to exist for itself. And so, we have to find ways to throw off that weight of pride that's slowing us down. Throw off that weight of, of selfishness. Now, the runners knew that they needed to strip down and, and they needed to not have clothing that would get in the way. Let me just ask you this. Have you ever seen a track meet or an Olympic event where the runners were wearing coveralls or heavy denim jeans, Right? It doesn't happen that way. They strip down to bare essentials so that clothing will not be a drag to them. I almost hesitate to mention this uh, with so many youth here this morning, but the first century runners in the arena ran naked. They, they didn't wear any clothes. And no, we don't have any pictures on the screen to show you. We're just going to let that slide on by. Uh, but that's how they ran because they didn't want the drag. They didn't want anything to slow them down. They, they took it pretty literally, cast aside the weight. Uh, and they also made sure that they got rid of, of excess body fat. They were trimmed. They knew that, that excess weight slowed them down, and, and they were disciplined. And I think the writer of Hebrews is saying, if they could be disciplined about an earthly kind of prize, can't we express and experience some discipline For our lives as we run the marathon. Uh, Janet and I were in Boston several years ago and we were on one of those tour buses you know going around to the famous sites and uh, I think I took a picture of it it's somewhere uh, in my phone Uh, there was a two-story building we drove by the first story the first floor was a Dunkin Donuts second floor was a fitness center. (laughs) Makes sense right? And isn't that a picture? of the good old U.S. of A, we want it both ways. We want it both ways. We want to indulge. We don't want too many rules. We don't want people imposing on our freedom. But we also want to know Jesus. But Scripture teaches that if we're going to follow Jesus, there have to be some intentional choices, that we can't be both. We can't be constantly indulging. We have to make intentional choices, disciplined choices. It doesn't just fall from the sky, this relationship with Jesus, this this race that we run. It requires that focus. Now, the second part of the phrase is just as important. We are to lay aside every weight. And the second one is, and the sin that clings so closely. Both phrases are important. The the second phrase is the idea of uh, perhaps obstacles in the way. I like that. Common English Bible translation of this verse, let's, this part of the, that part of the verse, let's throw off any extra baggage, get rid of the sin that trips us up. So the runners were not only attentive to the things that, on their body that might slow them down, they were also attentive to things on the track that might slow them down so that they needed to get rid of the sin that trips them up. Consider this. The oldest manuscripts of the New Testament that we know about uh, have some variations in this verse, and some of the oldest manuscripts use the phrase, and let us not lose our focus. Let us not be tripped up. Let us not be pulled aside and distracted. Let us not be led away by distracting sins the sin that so easily distracts now I want you to sit with that phrase for a moment the sin that so easily distracts think about it we often describe sin as something vile and dirty something disgusting uh, something uh, that makes you blush But sin is also just being distracted. The newest shiny thing that comes along, we're distracted. And the writer of Hebrews says, that can slow you down. The sin that distracts. I want to tell you a story about a man named Fred. Uh, He was in a church I pastored a long time ago in another city. And Fred's not his real name, but that's all you need to know. Fred was what I'd call a model Christian and model church leader. He was a deacon. He was in his uh, 60s. Uh, He was admired by all of the young adults. They wanted to be around him, they wanted to learn from him. They they were enriched by him. Uh, He loved to live his faith, and he loved to share his faith. He was just a great, great guy. There came a time uh, in his life when his wife took up a hobby and uh, she, because of that hobby had to be away on weekends and started being away on Sundays and pretty soon Fred started going with her. And uh, they'd be gone once in a while. They'd be at church most of the time. And then it got to be over a period of months where they were missing more church than they were present. Now, I'm going to push the pause button right here because somebody out there is saying, oh, the pastor has gone on a guilt trip trying to make us feel guilty about missing church, implying that church is the only way you can grow spiritually by coming to a building. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not into legalism. That's not where I'm going. Just listen to the rest of my story. Okay, are we back on track? Something happened to Fred over the months. He got to the point where he he was missing so much being with the family of God that he began to resent decisions that the church was making in his absence. And the more resentful he grew, the more he excused himself for not spending time with believers because he felt wronged, and it became a vicious cycle. So the more he missed, the more he missed, the more he resented life going on without him. Eventually, Fred became a very cold, hard person. The light had gone from his eyes. He was just brittle. He was just resentful. I sat down with him, talked to him, prayed with him. And the fire just wasn't there. He didn't go out and commit some heinous crime. He didn't lose his way because he made a terrible moral decision. He stopped running because he got distracted. He just got distracted. And it happens. And if you read Bible commentaries on this passage of Scripture, most Bible commentaries will say that the besetting sin, the sin that clings so closely, the the sin that so easily distracts, most Bible commentaries do not believe that it's one particular sin. You know, we sometimes say, well, chocolate did me in, you know. I got away from Jesus because I love chocolate too much. Uh, by the way, that's not possible, you know. Uh, <laughs> but it's not, it's not one particular thing or act. Most Bible commentators believe that the, the the besetting sin, the distracting sin, is more of a posture. It's an attitude. It's an attitude that says, I don't need God or I don't need Him as badly as I thought I did. I don't need the family of God. I don't need other believers. I don't need other people. It's a posture that sort of clenches its fists, and it grows like Fred did, sort of cold and indifferent. And with that in mind, I want to offer... uh, some inventory questions for us this morning. I'm going to put them on the screen and I want you to answer silently, not out loud, but I want you to answer these questions. Where is your life going? Where is God calling you? What are your spiritual goals? And if you can think about the first three, then really think about the fourth one. What are the temptations and distractions that keep you from achieving those goals and those purposes? What are the temptations and distractions? When our girls were little, they loved to play dress up downstairs in the basement on Saturdays. Uh, they would put on these dresses that were way too big for them and they would put on music and they would dance. And one particular Saturday, I was down there watching them and, and Kristen uh, was wearing a, a dress, the hymn was way too long and she, got, she tripped on it and she fell. And she got so mad. Uh, she got grouchy and she kind of barked and I explained to her it it was not anybody else's fault the dress is too long, it tripped you up and I've thought about that a a lot over the years how many times have I put on something that doesn't fit, I try to be somebody I'm not and I do my pretend games of self-importance. And then I trip. I get tangled up in the distraction, in the pride. And then what do we do when that happens? We get angry and we try to make it somebody else's fault. When in reality, we need to be paying attention to the things that trip us to the things that distract us. Do you begin to see that God is not out to ruin our fun? I'm so glad it's Dean Out Sunday because a part of my testimony is that when I was 15, I finally, when I really started following Jesus was when it finally clicked with me that God was not out to ruin my fun. What finally clicked for me is that God was not trying to keep me from fun. He was trying to keep me from failure. When you think of all of the descriptions of sin in Scripture, we automatically default to sin as offense, doing something wrong. But did you know that there's just as much, if not more in Scripture, about sin as bondage, enslavement, tangling us up, Binding us and keeping us from being what God created us to be. And the same with salvation. We automatically default to salvation as forgiveness and cleansing. And certainly it is. But salvation is also liberation. It is being set free from the things that trip us up. It's being set free from the things that encumber us and keep us from running. So here's the message this morning. Run the race. Run the race. And run well. Being attentive to the things on you and about you that weigh you down and the things on the track that would destroy and would trip you and keep you from being all that God wanted you to be. Run the race. Let's run the race.